Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 280 for October 26th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about recoding an old poly finish, bandsaw blades for curves, and correcting a rip handsaw cut. All that and more coming up, but first, we should thank a few special people who helped us out with donations. Matt Kummel, Gary Kaufman, and Kenneth Resnaki. Yeah, it works for me. I would call sure. myself Raysnake. Raysnake? Raysnake. R-A-S-N-A. It's a cool last name, however you pronounce it. Thank you, Kenneth. And uh, Gary and Matt, we appreciate your support. And if you want to help us out too, you can go to woodtalkshow.com and look over in the side column for the donation links. Uh, one-time donation or a small recurring donation helps us keep the lights on here, helps us keep putting out great content. At least we think it's good. Satisfies okay. our needs. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it's some of the best I've ever heard, and I've been listening for years. Frankly, it's the best show out there that features all three of us. It is. That's, it, tr- you, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I have it on a t-shirt, too, that says that. It's <laughs> right. the best show that features the three of these guys. Yep. I, I did a split-screen thing one time and put both you and Matt on our both you mark okay <laughs> i pointed it mark. okay um that guy over both there mark and matt on the split screen like the picture in picture thing and that was horrible that's uh, pretty pretty messy yeah, uh, and hey while you're at the woodtalkshow.com website uh go to the giveaway page and sign up to get yourself a free t-shirt in the future matt and i have been talking about this and kind of being lazy about it we've got a bunch of dvds that we still need to offload on some uh, uns- unsuspecting people and, uh, it's not offloading. It's oh, no? sharing the wealth. You, when okay. you say offload, it sounds like I cannot get this out of my hands. It's a little bit of a enough. negative connotation, but that's right. kind of how I intended it. Um, yeah, so th- we've got a lot of DVDs, and we would like to share those with you and send them out. So we'll probably make those part of future giveaways, make them a little bit more interesting than just a, a T-shirt. I think that'll be cool. I got, yes. a, I got a fair amount of stuff to throw to that that pile, too. I've just been too lazy to... <laughs> to yeah. add it to the list. Shannon, it's not to get rid of our garbage, okay? Relax. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I started doing this this uh, chips and tips things on the Renaissance Woodworker where I was doing the same thing where I had a bunch of stuff that either some of it was donated to the show, some of it was, uh, uh, you know, stuff that, uh, books and things that, you know, all in great condition. And the whole idea was people would join this email list and I would draw names. I have been trying to give away stuff for like the last two months <laughs> And people, I guess they just don't check their emails. Like yeah. maybe they give me like, oh, I'm going to sign up for this this list. I don't want to get spam. So they give me like, you know, the email address they never check. Right. So I just don't think I'm going to do it anymore. Um, because the whole idea was to like plug, put the name in, in like the post role of the show. So it's part of the editing process, in mm-hmm. other words. Um, so it's holding up the release of the show. And I'm like, you know what? I just... Yeah, just gonna throw it in the wood talk pile and yeah. give that stuff away there. Yeah, that works. You know, check sh- your emails, people. You uh, might have won something, but it's too you late now. But Shannon, if you give away the T-shirt that I gave you, I'm gonna know that you consider that not to be good quality stuff. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, totally off this off the subject here, but chips and tips. There are just so many ways that you could just slightly mispronounce those things and make it dirty. 
Oh, it's yeah. actually it's a is a strip club in Canada, if I remember right. It's just on the other <laughs> side of the Niagara Falls. <laughs> nice. All right, let's move into what is on the bench, also known as what's on the bench with the apostrophe. Uh, so for me, I am still working on the gaming table, but kind of uh, see the um, the finish line in sight at this point. I've got the base glued up. I've got the top frame glued up and together and now i'm just going to start cutting the insert top pieces that go into that top frame the removable inserts uh, that allow you to play on the interior space so there's going to be some uh, home sawn veneers and some veneering action i've got my veneer press ready to roll and haven't used it in quite a while um, and the other thing was coincidentally with this I've been looking at season six of Woodworks. Um, I've got a pile of DVDs that have been on my desk for a, a couple of months now that are here for giveaways. And I was like, I should probably do something with those. So I did a little giveaway on Facebook and it got me watching all those old episodes. And I just remember after watching Woodworks, how it like infatuated and in love with uh, David. No, um, with, uh, <laughs> with veneering. He was so dreamy back so then. He dreamy. was so young. and Yes. And uh, he... Um, he would do a lot of veneering in the show. And that's really what got me into some of these higher level processes in, in woodworking. And veneering was one of the things that I did a lot uh, when I first started woodworking, just because I was so intrigued by it. And I got to a point where it was like, all right, well now I'm going to do a lot more with just, you know, regular solid wood projects and haven't done a whole lot of veneering, but I've got all the gear. I've got all this stuff to do it. It's just going to kind of, you know, blow the cobwebs off of the brain and remember all the little tips and tricks that I used to do to make it work. So yeah, I'll be sawing my own veneer, watching a couple old episodes of woodworks to refresh my memory and uh, hopefully having a successful veneering uh, part of the process here. Right very, very cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. Moving right along. The table's looking awesome. Looks oh, great. Thank you. You know, <clears throat> yes. I had a comment on Facebook and, uh, you know, compliments are compliments. So, I, you know, thank you. It, I enjoy anyone says something nice about me or my projects. You deserve a thank you. But there are some times that some compliments aren't the same as other compliments. <laughs> this guy, this guy says he let me know how much my joinery has improved over the last couple of years. Nice. Oh, Oh, and 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 I, did you were you aware at all that there were issues that it needed to improve that it that's, wasn't improving? That's the thing. Not that I, of course, I'm always trying to improve. That's that's you know that's why I do this. I try to get better. But you know, in the last three years, I can't say that I've evolved a whole lot. You know, I've kind <laughs> of plateaued with my woodworking, and I just kind of do different things. And um, you know, that's the problem with doing the show like like that we do. You kind of um, you don't progress as quickly because you don't have the opportunity to experiment as much uh, and practice as much. But it's it's funny when you get that sort of weird backhanded compliment that I, like I just said, "LOL, thanks." <laughs> like, I pre- my favorite is the one that goes, "You know, this was actually pretty good." Yeah. Yes, like, well, um, yes, actually, I can't believe it's not terrible. I have to tell you that I think I might have possibly learned something, but I haven't quite digested it yet. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I just want to let you both know that uh, you are much better looking than you have been in the last three years. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I I've been picking that. a little something. <laughs> not afraid to use a little foundation mm. when it's necessary. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us more about that foundation. What's going on with you? Well, you know, speaking of solid foundations, that is one thing. Now that I have started to do all this traveling and I'm getting used to my routine, I, I actually had an opportunity to spend a little bit of time in my shop. And by a little, t- little bit of time, I mean it was a little bit of time. It was only a few hours. So what is the perfect tool when you only maybe have a few hours here and there? That's right. The it's TV? The oh. Yes, the TV. Actually, I did. <laughs> I, I was watching David Marks and going, he is so cute. What a hunk. Episodes. Wow. So, no, but I, I hear I, he can do a handstand on his bench. He can. What? I've well, seen I saw it. a picture of him at Burning Man just recently. So, yeah. that was fun. All right, this is getting weird. <laughs> Move on. All right. So, <laughs> anyways, though, uh, so I have been looking more and more at doing some work with my lathe because, again, these are projects you can usually knock out pretty quickly, make a whole bunch of them, make people happy, and convince that you've been spending hours and hours and hours in the shop. But the one thing that I've really been thinking a lot about is once in a while, I have Shannon's voice in my head and it really freaks me out and then I realize I'm actually listening to an episode of the Renaissance Woodworker rather than watching it. <laughs> that explains what's going on there. But the whole thing with the lathe, trying to get that right the, the the tool up to the right position so that you're actually standing where you have the most control over it. Uh, because I'm so short, the existing stand that I have on my my lathe sitting on right now, it's almost too high. And I feel like <clears throat> just the way that I, I hold that tool, I'm not getting the proper angle on it. I want to be just a little bit higher than the, maybe the center of the, the spinning wood itself. So I am looking at a old stand that I 
had another tool in my shop that I'm getting rid of sitting on. And the more I look at it and I, I kind of figure out the heights, having it just a little bit lower I think is going to work out for me. And the more important part, though, is that the footprint of that stand matches what I have right now. So I don't have to restructure the whole area where I have the lathe. So long story short, Matt's getting a new stand for his lathe. How about you, Shannon? What do you got going on? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was good. I was riveting. Nice. Um, the one, the one thing I can say, just right before this show started, the Penn State Industries catalog showed up, Uh-oh. and um, you know it's getting to the time of year where the lathe starts to come out and make little fun Christmas gifts. Mm-hmm. And my wife was leaving through it, and suddenly, a couple of Christmas gifts is now like nine or ten pages bookmarked in the catalog <laughs> of stuff to get. So uh, having a stand is important this time of year because you may end up spending a lot of time at the lathe. And right, that, and that, that's lower what I was back thinking. pain. Oh, it hurts. If That's what not. I was gonna. I was gonna actually email you about off uh, uh, once we get done recording here and, and kind of pick your brain a little bit. Uh, I might not actually do it now that I mentioned it because usually as soon as I say stuff, I don't end up doing it right <laughs> no afterwards. No follow through. Yeah, no well, follow. through. You know, I mean, <laughs> if if you if you have a comment or question or topic suggestion, Matt, there are several different ways that you can reach me. It's true. Oh, I'll make sure. I'll make sure to check all those as it gets closer <laughs> to the end. But for certain, yeah, it, it definitely. You know, now that you mentioned that all the dog ears on there, I keep seeing poor Kenny and his whole litter. And there's probably more dog ears in that book than were probably in his whole litter. <laughs> so. All righty. Anyways, also, Shannon, what, what do you have going on? <laughs> I started work on the Woodworkers Fighting Cancer Kids Table and Chairs. Yay! Good for you. Hey, I'm actually going to build along and support Mark for once. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's about time. It's only five years <laughs> exactly. into this. I think the last time I actually built was the very first. No, wait. Shaker Table was the first one. Yeah, that was the first one. I did build that. All right. Okay. So it's not it's not the first time. But so you're um, not as bad as Matt, is what you're saying. No. <laughs> no. That's what I yeah, that's I, what I aim for to be just slightly still, better than Matt. That's it. It's not that well, difficult from what I hear from some of the Facebook comments. <laughs> we have had the discussion several times in the past about cut lists and how they're you know they're okay, they're good tools, but take it with a grain of salt. So I had made a comment publicly on Facebook at one point about how nice the plans were for this table and chair build. And I, I downloaded it on my tablet. And I was leafing through it. And it's got a great, um, uh, what do you call that? Sheet diagram, I guess. A cutting diagram. Uh, for, for like the big piece of plywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a cutting um, diagram. Yeah, which was really helpful because, again, a sheet of plywood takes up so much room in my shop. So first thing I had to do was break it down, and it was laid out really, really nicely. Um, and then I said, okay, well, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and keep cutting out the parts. I broke it into four <laughs> kind of quadrants and then decided to keep sawing and cutting out the parts. So I referenced the cut list, and I'm looking at the the parts for the legs, and the legs are all stacked together. So I made a, a couple of cross cuts to get the length, and then I ripped out the, the, the links from there. And um, the cut list says 22 inches long for the legs. Right. Which is, which is correct. But they're cut at a five-degree angle on both ends to make a parallelogram. Right. So if you cut it to exactly 22 inches long, you would, it's too short. <laughs> because if you, know, if you go from, if you, if you look at the parallelogram, it's not dramatically too short, but it's a little too short. Fortunately, the way that cutting diagram the sheet diagram however was set up there was one bunch of legs that was grouped towards the at the end of the sheet and another was grouped in the middle so one in the middle i cut them out to 22 inches long the one on the end it was like you know 23 and change so i didn't bother to cut off that little sliver right away thank goodness (laughs) because these legs are two-part legs one is uh you know it turns you glue them together and you essentially create a half lap um, so the outer leg is the one that's that's longer, and the inner leg ends up being shorter by the width of the apron. So all the ones that were exactly 22 inches long, they ended up being the inside of the leg. But it was one of those things where I did it, and I was like, you idiot. You just, like, trusted the cut list. So yeah. the the moral of the story is, is don't trust cut lists, even if they're made by a good friend of yours. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe especially because they're made by a good friend of yours. Yeah, I so, generally don't know what the hell I'm doing. I, I, I dodged a bullet on that one. I followed it too closely, and... Yeah, it was I'm sitting there laying at the angles going, wait a minute, I can't get 22 inches. Out well, of this. you know, and the other thing is one, especially for online resources like mine, I tend to come from the perspective that you've watched the video that you've kind of looked at the details. So I may go a little lighter 
in my explanations and details in the plans. I don't feel like I need to hold your hand as much because I made a video about it. Whereas if I were sort of producing this as a set of plans to be sold as a paper set of plans, I'd have to do a little bit more heavy lifting to get someone yeah. through the project. So that's, that's the other true. Thing. It doesn't say five degrees anywhere in those plans. Yeah. I mean, a PDF, you can, you cannot build this thing. I mean, you probably, well, you probably can, but it yeah, would be a little tricky to build it just purely uh, from this cut list. Now, if you were building a project that David Marks put together, would you want to hold his hand? Uh, let's not go there. We already <laughs> went a little too far into that territory. <laughs> but yes is the answer. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, I guess that's it then, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Let's move into uh, what's new here. Uh, this is a little self-serving, but we have a giveaway going on right now. I thought it was particularly awesome. Uh, you guys know Fuji Spray, the turbine spray company? Mm-hmm. It's the other one that I'm afraid of. Yes. Well, they, <laughs> they just came out with something that will knock your butt off. It's the Platinum Q5, a five-stage turbine. A five-stage turbine? Yes, five stages. What are the, fi- what are the five stages? Are they listed? Yes, I think the first one is... Um, denial? Is denial. Then there's, what, depression? Or happiness. I don't know. It's very confusing to me. And then probably the last one is just simply blow your mind. Yes. Yeah, yes. The last three are orange peel finish, basically. Yeah, this is an awesome unit. It's definitely more of your pro level uh, quality unit. But we're giving one of those away at the Wood Whisperer this month. So go to thewoodwhisperer.com slash giveaway and you'll see all the different ways to enter. And you definitely don't want to miss it because it's uh, that's a heck of a turbine. No, not to go too far into this, but why do you need five stages? Don't ask that question, Shannon. As, as, if as you, the HVLP novice that just has my little Erlex and is really happy with it. If you have to ask, you don't deserve to know. All right, fair <laughs> enough. That's a good rule to have, right? Is, it, is that like five treadles? Basically, all at the same time, you're looking at the, yeah, the more powerful it is, generally speaking, the easier it's going to be to spray thicker bodied finishes and the more forgiving it's going to be if you don't have the right uh, tip size, if you don't have the right dilution on your fluid. Uh, it, it kind of, at least I've found in my hands, I don't need to be as well versed with the machine if the machine is powerful enough, kind of like a, like a bandsaw. If you have a really high horsepower bandsaw, you can power through some resaws, even if the saw isn't tuned to perfection. If you have a smaller 14 inch saw or a little desktop unit, you really need to have that thing perfectly tuned in order to do that, that resawing activity. So, uh, the, the more, the more stages I find just allows me to, uh, to, to not get any better. To be lazier. <laughs> to nice. be lazier, oh, yeah. Oh, so it's dummy proof. Well, in that case, Kinda. I need like 20 stages. Kind of, yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. just like a lathe, Matt. The higher the <laughs> RPM, the more you can get away with stuff. Oh, yeah. Perfect. But there it, we go. It is okay. an impressive unit, though, for sure. Cool. Impressive unit. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right. Say. Well, let's let's move on to this next one, and we'll save those dirty comments for afterwards, gentlemen. Let's Do pull it. ourselves together. Yeah. Come on. Although although I'm usually the one starting them. Anyways, this, quite, this, uh, this link came in from Sheldon. Sheldon says a couple episodes you guys mentioned a whiskey barrel coffee table that generated a lot of interest. Are you guys aware of anything like that? Yes. No. That okay. was on the Wood Whisper or the, right. the Wood Whisper Facebook page. And it almost broke the Wood Whisper. It Facebook. did break the Wood Whisper, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so Sheldon was, uh, in case anybody really wanted to see this, if you missed it or you were maybe calling up uh, Mark's mom and asking where the plans were, <laughs> here's a link to a tutorial by DIY Pete on how to actually make one. That's great. So it's pretty neat. The thing is, DIY Pete, I think I, I kind of looked this over a little bit. It almost looks like DIY Pete like tears apart a barrel. It just seems like you just want to cut it in half. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. What he said. Well, now you say something, Shannon. It's your okay. Um, <laughs> Shannon, I slow. actually, I actually submitted this one myself. I came across it um, on YouTube during my lunch hour one day, and it's a guy that is redoing his wood shop, and he clads the entire interior using reclaimed wood. And it was one of those things where I, I'm often a little circumspect about this because it's like all these different colors and things, but um, it looks really cool when he's done. And the video is awesome because he does a lot of like time lapse type work and there are action figure appearances. So it's, mm-hmm. it's well worth it. You get Darth Vader chasing Spider-Man around. It's just, nice. it's really cool. Think of, um, what's his name? Uh, Frank Howarth, mm-hmm. who does those animated cool like project builds. This is uh, kind of like that, but not at all serious. So it's, it's well worth the trip. And, uh, you know, it's just a cool looking shop when he's done. Sweet. So now, does any out. of the G.I. Joe get in there? Like, do they bring in the giant aircraft carrier? Because then that would <laughs> make it cool. a super cool video. 
That'd be really cool. Unfortunately, no. Sorry. Lame. <laughs> All right. So then I came across, uh, I was, I was at work the other day and I was talking to my domestic, um, lumber buyer about this like incredible run on Oak, red Oak and white Oak. It's like, we can't keep the stuff in stock. The price is going through the roof and it's like, really Oak. Yeah. What's the deal? I come to find out that the most sought after thing in like the nation right now is barrel staves using white Oak. Because the whole like the whole microbrew thing that went on last decade, it's now about micro distilleries making whiskey and bourbon and they're sprouting up all over the place. So there is a huge demand for white oak barrels from Tabasco is cured in that chocolate is cured in it. Maple syrup, whiskey, bourbon, wine, of course, um, you know, although I think that's red oak. I don't know, whatever. Um, but what's interesting is because of this incredible like boom in needing barrels, now the number one job in the trades in America is a cooper to make barrels. No kidding. I just thought it was fascinating to me because wow. while there is some modernization that's gone on on how to make the barrels, they have a kind of a, 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 a joiner, I guess is the best way to put it, but it's more like a guillotine blade that slides across that actually will cut the um, convex compound convex angle for the barrel staves. But just about everything else is done the same way it was done in the 18th century, wow. which is just fascinating to me. So of course there's like six people that know how to do this <laughs> in the country. So I posted this on Facebook. If you are want to pursue woodworking as a career and you're looking for job security and good pay, who would have thought you'd say that with yeah, woodworking, no kidding. right? Uh, consider becoming a cooper. We well, you know it's cool. There then. are companies out there who will train you in this. They're looking for like, you know, able-bodied eighteen-year-olds, and that's all they care about. <laughs> and they will train yeah. you to be a cooper. So well, since we saw a clear trend that people want these barrel tables, I'm thinking we can kind of create a reverse trend where we now steal the tables and glue them back together to make barrels. There you go. See? It's genius. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's right? do it. There's let's a business model right there. But there, there is a link that's included in this on on. Uh, barrel making, which is actually kind of cool because it's more than just putting the, together the barrel. It's all the toasting of the inside, which is you learn a little bit about why you need barrels to make this stuff. Yeah. So, well, cool. It's cool. I just thought it was really interesting that this essentially almost extinct craft is now like super high in demand. As a hand tool guy, it it gives me hope. It gives me faith in, in this world. Well, just as a woodworker, right? I yeah. mean, ultimately, yeah. woodworking in and, in and of itself is kind of outdated as far as furniture making is concerned, but it continues to to do well. You well know, this is one of those of things like Windsor chairs where there's really not a way to automate it. You know, yeah, yeah. you still have to, you know, pull out the draw knife uh, to do it, which I think is really cool. Yeah, good stuff. Sweet. Well, hey, we have one more link here. This came in from Paul, and Paul sent this in, and he said, you know what? This is similar to Roy Underhill's lecture. And I said, well, let's go ahead and take a look. And it's a link to a Facebook video called Before the Sawmill. And this looks a little bit familiar, but I think this this might actually be a different – do you remember there was a while ago, a couple years ago, which means we probably won't remember it, but there was a whole thing about a boat building seminar going on over – I believe it was in Europe and everything was being built entirely by hand – and everybody got to come in for the day and get mm-hmm. to be uh, makeshift historical figures building it. Well, that's kind of what they're doing here. And they're just showing how they're literally splitting the logs and then taking these giant logs and essentially creating one or two boards out of them is the way that looks when mm. you watch the video. It's almost like that old cartoon where you see them chopping down an entire forest to make like a box of toothpicks. <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, something kind of neat, just one of those, if you like watching this stuff where you see the boards, the logs themselves being rived, is that the right term? I always said things incorrectly. Uh, This is one of those videos that will help you get that fixed if that's what you need. Cool. Sounds good. All right, let's move into kickback. Uh, First one here is from John V. He says, you started discussing the new Amazon handmade, uh, and I thought I would throw this out there. My wife is a knitter. I know. But she has been pretty successful selling items via Etsy, Big Cartel, etc. I asked her thoughts on the Amazon Handmade, and she pointed me to an article from an artisan who went through the sign-up process. Two things worth mentioning. One, items are considered handmade if you have less than 20 employees or less than 100 collaborators. 
Second, this excerpt from the license agreement. Uh, This is, I guess, directly from that. It says, You grant us royalty-free, non-exclusive, worldwide, perpetual, irrevocable right and license to use, reproduce, perform, display, distribute, adapt, modify, reformat, create derivative works of, and otherwise commercially or non-commercially exploit in any manner any and of all of your materials (laughs) to sub-license and, uh, let's see, the foregoing rights to our affiliates and operators of Amazon-associated properties. He he then says, we're out of the quote now, I've not compared these terms to um, the use of Etsy or other handmade sites, but if that statement scares you, you might rethink selling items via Amazon. <laughs> Interesting. That reminds me of that SNL skit of Happy Fun Ball, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do not taunt Happy Fun Ball. Yeah. It's basically, you know, these end-user license agreements and things like that are typically scary. They're typically more than any average person is capable of comprehending and actually reading. I mean, I think I did an iTunes update, and it had like 24 pages, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, for the for the EULA. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Who's going to read this crap? Um, so, yeah, it's just one of those things. So, But uh, it's good to be aware of that stuff. Uh, we also have one from Joshua. He wrote in and he said, what is this? Creations from the Heart Amazon Review. So they've this got- is This is actually the article that John V is referring to. Is it? Okay. Gotcha. I, at least I think so, because in that article, she, um, I think it's a she. I could be grossly stereotyping there. She oh, makes jewelry. Sure. Well, if it is, then it matches up perfectly with what I just read. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah. So well, it, then this it's makes more the sense. link that John's talking about. And, and I did read the article. It's well worth checking it out. Okay, we'll put those together. You'll have the links in the show notes. I'm surprised that John V has time to actually do these things, considering how frequently he's talking to your mom, Mark. I know. He's on the phone with your mom all the time. Is this Johnny V? I yeah. don't know. I'm assuming. It's just, it says John V. I know Johnny usually goes by Johnny V. Oh, okay. Well, either way, Johnny V, John V, whatever. Everybody's talking to Mark's mom. It's not cool. She has busy. She's chatty. Your mom's a popular lady. She's in the house today talking to me, right? Oh, my Lord. I'm like, what are you talking to me for, lady? Settle down. (laughs) Get back to work. (laughs) Get back to work, woman. (laughs) All right. That's terrible. All right. This uh, next one's on the same topic. Comes from Brian. And he says, uh, regarding Amazon Handmade, I run a small furniture shop. And I looked into the Amazon program, and it's not as good a de- good of a deal as one would think. One of the main requirements is that you have a guarantee that you will ship the products within 30 days. Eesh. To have a healthy business, you need to have a pipeline of customers. I am typically out 8 to 12 weeks. So for me to be able to commit to 30 days, I would have to tell my other customers, sorry, your project is delayed because someone ordered something through Amazon, and I have to build theirs first, which is not good business. Mm-mm. Or I would have to build products to stock so that they're ready for immediate sale, which takes capital, time, and space. Not an easy task for someone who specializes in handmade furniture. Or a third option would be to ramp up and invest in a large production shop and hire employees to be sure I can meet a 30-day timeline. I've worked in enough shops over the years to know that the more employees you have, the harder it is to keep track of quality control. Thus, usually results on a lesser quality product, which would defeat the purpose of buying a handmade item from an artist in the first place. The worst part is, since they are only letting in select makers, essentially all their ha- all other handmade makers will now be forced to compete with Amazon in their niche markets. Amazon has much deeper pockets to buy Google ads, TV ads, and the like, which will make it difficult for the small handmaker, handmade maker to compete with Amazon. Operating in a niche market away from large corporations is how many makers and other small businesses survive. I see this as just another large corporation trying to milk every dime out of every possible market out there. Nice. Had to throw in that bitter maker comment at the end. Yeah, but but I can get diapers like tonight if I need them. (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, I I run into this (laughs) all day at work and it's like, uh, you know, I agree with everything Brian is saying, but. There's a market paradigm that, you know, it's like, why would I go to Blockbuster when I can just go to Amazon Prime? They let me watch videos. I mean, while you're waiting for the diapers to be delivered. (laughs) Yeah, what's not to love? See, what I want is when the drone is available, I'm going to order a drone to have the drone drop the drone off. That's going to be just awesome. That'd be nice. It's so meta. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on to this next one that came in from Robert. And the reason why I want to move on to this is you're going to hear right in the beginning why I think this is an amazing feed the kickback that we have here <laughs> it says concerning ryan's email about static from the shop vac hose matt's suggestion about the anti-static hose is the best course <coughs> Bullshit. <laughs> what, what? no uh, uh it's not because if we have a listener kicking back saying it's the best course it has to be the best course because we have the best listeners that's everywhere. true that's true yeah. this is this is robert from michigan isn't it uh there no um i'm not gonna in tell state you. 
brethren thing going on there. <laughs> Look at, we're always assuming that because it's a Robert or a Johnny or a John, that these are the one and same, you know, kind of people I over know. and over. What's up with that? Probably yeah. are. But anyways, though, so let's get on with this. So uh, Robert goes on to say that grounding your body would be counterproductive since in this case, you are not the source of the static and you certainly don't want to be part of the path it takes to the ground. To be most effective, the anti-static hose needs to be bonded to a good ground. The bead chain to the concrete floor suggestion might be effective, but a better course would be to establish a connection to the electrical ground or a metal water pipe in your shop. Great. One more thing I have to be attached to to try and walk around. That's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Now, I had a mishap in my shop that I thought I would share in hopes that others can avoid a similar situation. I was running my random orbit sander, connected to my shop vac, sanding a tabletop between coats of poly. I had been hit by a couple of powerful jolts of static from the vacuum holes already, but the third time it happened, the shop vac and sander, they shut off. After a quick investigation, I found the breaker tripped in the panel. It would not reset until I unplugged my sander. Turns out that the mini lightning bolt that jumped from the vacuum hose traveled to my hand through the plastic handle of the sander and zapped the variable speed control on on the sander itself. So a Apparently, the fine dust from the dried varnish has a lot of electrical charge, which it happily contributes to the vacuum hose as it rushes by. Ooh, that is horrible. So anyways, then Robert goes on to say, after replacing the sander, I rigged a drain wire on the hose until I could finish my project. I taped a bare copper wire to the first few feet of of the hose nearest the sander connection and connected it to a ground metal box nearby. It was ugly and it didn't work perfectly, but I didn't ruin the new sander and didn't get shocked nearly as badly while finishing my project. Wow. Jeez. I've never had anything come close to stuff like this happening. I mean, other than the occasional little like, oh, that was fun, you know, kind of a, a jolt. That's about it. I have never had anything nearly as terrifying as what I just read. Yeah, nothing more than like a nuisance shock, and that's about it. But yikes. Right. I was going to say, this is something where he might want to think about harnessing that. You know? <laughs> right. Seriously, don't, do don't run a wire it. to diffuse it. Run a wire and tap it back into the grid. I mean, come on. Shannon, <laughs> did you ever get so much static electricity that you couldn't use your hand plane? Well, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to be the hand tool guy here. So. I'll do it for you. Well, you know, you did probably get a lot of static about using the hand plane, I'm sure. But uh, Matt, Matt's just full of bad puns today. He really is. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's because I had home office Friday. Yes, he's all excited. All right, next one is from Jay. He says, responding to Jonathan's questions about uh, curved cane handle, he might want to consider laminating a few thinner pieces together instead of using six-quarter stock. Three half-inch pieces, for instance, would eliminate the problem of short grain at the crook of the handle since no grain line would traverse the entire thickness. It would also allow the possibility of using multiple wood species. So there you go. Thanks, Jay. Mm. Right. Okay. This is from Chris. He says, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I agree that using the table saw to resaw boards. All right. Who snorted? (laughs) That was not me. Kenny. Yeah, it was the dog. Uh, I don't know. I just felt like there needed to be something more said there, but then I realized there didn't need to be anything said there. So, okay, (laughs) moving on. Chris says that resawing boards in the table saw is a a good idea. Um, Then you move to the bandsaw to finish up, but he says that is an extra step, but I have used the table saw to resaw before using that kerf as a guide for a handsaw. When the board is too wide for my 14 inch bandsaw, it makes the job of resawing with a handsaw that much easier. I do try to try and take caution when using the table saw by taking multiple passes, raising the blade slightly after each cut as to not try and run the board through all three inches of blade at once. Um, yes. Yet another, another way to do it. Uh, yes. That, Chris. <laughs> yes. Yes. You are I'm correct. Gonna, I'm going to pull a Shannon here. Yes. Uh, we also have one kickback that's in a voicemail form about upping our standards, elevating your game. Uh, hey, what's up guys? This is Bells in Kansas city. Uh, calling with uh, feedback on uh, episode 278. Uh, the uh, new hashtag, Elevate Your Game, kind of uh, like a phrase I've been using the last couple of years where people have uh, talked to me about woodworking stuff and how they wish they could do it. Uh, my response is something I picked up back when I was in the Army, a uh, phrase that goes, I've up my standards, up yours. <laughs> Just thought I'd share. It sort of reminds me of Matt's new uh, catchphrase for his show, um, straight grains and go yourself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's right and up I your use alley. it in so many other places too, not just in, in, in reference to the show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Thanks for that call. Um, and let's move into our voicemail proper here. We've got a couple of them. One from our uh, good buddy, Robert DeVries. We just talked about him, didn't we? He's, yeah. the, he's the cheap guy that lives in Michigan, right? 
That's yeah. right. Yeah, the <laughs> you might want to be more specific. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. One of the cheap guys living One in Michigan. The, yeah. <laughs> okay. One of the go. cheaper. Uh, he's got a question concerning tarot. Hello, my intrepid trio of woodworking tutors. I have a question for you concerning tarot. How do you control tarot? On the table saw, router table, hand saw, router plane, anything that you make a through cut in. I understand that by backing up a piece, you can minimize it. But what do you do when that isn't practical? Say you are cutting a board with a handsaw. How do you control the last few strokes so the last bit doesn't tear away? What about a dado set in a table saw? It can leave less than perfect edges when making tenons. These are just a couple of examples of tarot that I have issues with. Help. Thanks. Help. Yes. Well, you know, before we go any further, actually, uh, Robert was one of the uh, Patreon uh, members that I had. Mm -hmm. And this was actually one of his questions when I said, hey, what would be a great topic you guys want me to discuss? And then he sent this in. And then I shortly afterwards said, hey, folks, guess what? Patreon, it's going south. (laughs) (laughs) We're done. All right. Well, you know what's funny about this? I've got a very quick two-minute video that's due out like later on this week uh, on the Wood Whisperer site with a thing that addresses this exact scenario, very coincidentally, because uh, I was working on those big mortise and tenon, actually the bridle joints, um, on the gaming table project, and it was just too lazy to put a backer board on my miter gauge to get a nice zero clearance on there, and I was using the dado stack with the uh, factory insert, so that doesn't hug the blade very well. So both from below and behind the workpiece, I had all kinds of chances for tear out. And what I usually do for this is just kind of go with an old school method. I use a a cutting gauge and scribe my lines. So that not only gives me a line by which I could set up the tool, but if I actually set it up properly and cut up right up against it, it's perfect every damn time. Like you don't need all of that extra stuff. So if he's running into a situation where he, maybe it's not practical to have those other solutions like zero clearance and sacrificial fences, using a classic, either a knife or a marking gauge to scribe your joinery is the I think the best way to do that without much extra like hassle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that was one one way for certain. Yes, yeah, scoring the the wood fibers. It's amazing how even not going too deep in it yeah. really makes a difference on that edge. Yeah, Shannon. Now you and do a I lot of any any other solution because I'm sure there'll be people who could write in and say, well, you do this or do this. Any other solution just doesn't work as well yeah. as a knife. You know, especially if it's a good deep line. But there is another option. With a little pre-planning, leave your board a little bit wide, cut your joiner, and then plane it to width. Because um, sometimes there's just no way around it. Sure, um, yeah. Or, or say you, you knife it and you screw it up because that happens a lot, at least in my shop, where you get tear out because maybe you were too aggressive with a router plane pass or whatever it was. And you get this like blowout on the backside where that knife line just wasn't enough precaution. If you've left your board like a 16th of an inch too wide, I can come back with a hand plane and clean it up. Um, that's, you know, if, if I'm doing something that I know I'm going to end up with that, um, sometimes it's best just to leave it wide. You know, speaking of blowout on the backside, just heard my uh, daughter crying in the other room. So Ooh, nice. <clears throat> She's had a few of those already. Those are fun. Yeah, uh, we had Sam's <clears throat> chili the other night, and that was pretty close to the Vangelis house, let me tell you. Uh, Shannon, are there any little tricks that you would employ specifically, specifically with the handsaw? I mean, I know typically you're going to scribe your joinery anyway, but is there anything you could do with the approach of the saw as you're, you're finishing your cut, just um, technique-wise, with the saw blade itself? what other than to like like other than to just like be gentle like is there anything you could do with the angle of the saw that tends to tear out less if you're yeah i mean if you're talking about like an actual um backless handsaw like you're breaking down and making a through cut or something like that Mm -hmm. um certainly as you get closer to the, the the saw breaking through um you can uh lighten your 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 the force applied right. quite a bit and kind of up the, the frequency. In other words, speed up, but let off the pressure. Gotcha. Um, same thing actually works with a drill, by the way, as you're coming near the end of the, the cut to prevent blowing out, you either can, you know, speed it up if you're using a hand drill or in a, not a hand drill, you know what I mean? Cordless drill 
or an egg beater drill, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and kind of let off the pressure and it allows the cutting spurs or the teeth of the saw to actually kind of sever the the opening or sever um, the fibers before you apply too much pressure, which causes the blowout. If you push too hard, it's going to grab the wood and, and tear it out the backside. Gotcha. Um, angle to some respect, if you change the angle a little bit, but um, I, I don't find that to be as reliable. Um, just because, you know, one angle may work in one situation, but it won't work in another situation. Mm -hmm. So then you're changing a bunch of things. You can mess with tooth geometry, uh, to do that, uh, by increasing the rake of a tooth and increasing the fleam on the tooth. You can get a much cleaner cut on the backside. This is really key for joinery saws, black saws and things where you are making really, really precise cuts. You know, if I'm doing this with a, with a panel saw, I don't care. Because generally, I'm going to do some more work to that board. So if I get a little tear out, no big deal. I'll clean it up with the plane later. But on, um, say, dovetails, you're going to get a little bit of tearing on the backside from the dovetail saw, right? Well, uh, a finer pitch saw is going to produce less, and a little bit of tooth geometry can change a lot of that, too. The biggest thing is a sharp tool. Yeah. If you're getting a little tear out, go and sharpen your tool. Cool. You know, one thing I, I have to wonder, you mentioned something about the, uh, the tooth the geometry. Do you wonder if orthodontists would make really good saw sharpeners? I mean, they're very familiar no. with tooth geometry. That's stupid. No. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. I, I don't know what kind of work your dentist does, but a file never enters my dentist's hand. Oh, well, maybe I was just should. thinking maybe they, they, they know other ways to manipulate the tooth <laughs> geometry, but I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Lots of nitrous. <laughs> see, everybody's glad Matt came back. Tell you that much. Uh, all right. And next, all the kickback next week will be, uh, please, <clears throat> get yeah. him to go away. <laughs> right. Uh, next one we have here is voicemail from, I don't know who it's from, someone asking about block planes. Hi, this is uh, Lyle Friesen from Friesen Hoodcraft in Western Canada. Um, question about block planes. Uh, I'd like, I'm a power tool woodworker coming. Um, would like to get into more into hand tools. I like your book about hybrid woodworking, Mark. Great job. And Woo-hoo! I was just wondering what your take is on block planes. Um, I I gather that uh, I like the idea of a rabbiting block plane. Uh, Lee Valley here only has the very toss. It has a skewed, uh, angled rabbiting block plane. They don't have anything straight. It's not pretty. It's in the catalog that pretty much will do everything that a regular block plane will do. And I like the idea of being able to trim up shoulders and tenons. So this, you think this will work? And also, what's your take on there? Uh, they have a little handle set that you can put onto your block plane to make it perform like a number three smoother uh, in their catalog. A little uh, tote and a knob that you can clip onto your uh, Veritas um, low-angle block plane. Okay, I uh, love the show. Thanks for your uh, what you put into it. All right. Well, like he alluded to, uh, this is something specifically in my book that I recommend that if you're uh, you're just kind of getting your tools together and you can only get one, I think a rabbiting block plane is going to do a lot more for you. Um, eventually, you may want to get yourself a regular block plane just for convenience and personal preference. But I think, you know, it, in general is going to do more. You'll be able to trim your tenon uh, cheeks really nice and easily or rabbits and things like that. Uh, because your blade is extending all the way to the, the the basic, like the sides of the body are open and the blade goes the full width, which is pretty nice and convenient. And you could do a, a lot of the same things that you would do on end grain that you might typically use your block plane for. So I think that's a good idea. Um, the, about the handle, I'm not too big on the, the handle. I don't, maybe that might be useful for someone. I don't uh, have much need for it myself. Um, but I'm curious with you guys, do you, do you think like, are there any major drawbacks to going with a, a skew block plane like this for rabbiting versus a traditional, um, you know, standard block plane? No major drawbacks. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything. <clears throat> the one thing with a skewed blade is it does pull, uh, one direction. Yeah. Um, as that angle intersects the wood, it will push, uh, let's see if the, the, <laughs> it, it pushes away, pushes to the right if the blade is angled in the way that I'm visioning in my mind, which makes no sense to the average listener of this show. <laughs> yeah. So just know that the blade is, uh, the body of the plane wants to push one direction or another. So, um, you know, they make left and right handed <laughs> versions of these. Just buy I them both. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> just buy them both. Um, it's an, it's an advantage if it happens to be pushing like against like the wall of that rabbit. Yeah. Or the, the shoulder nice of that tenon. Yeah. It keeps it nice and tight. 
Um, but if you switch turn around and go the other way, it's not like the force of this plane is so strong that it's going to like skate off to the side and bounce off the floor or whatever. Um, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, you know, the only time that would really matter is if you're doing like maybe starting a rabbit using knife line and I, you know, that can be a little difficult. I don't know if he specifically needs to shop at Lee Valley being Canadian, eh? Yay. But Lee Nielsen, Lee Nielsen has a rabbiting block plane that's a little bit cheaper. It's 175. That's the one that I've got, and it's like almost exactly the same as their standard block plane. And it's not at a skew angle, but it's mm-hmm. got that little nicker that leads the blade that is really nice to have too. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe take a look at that. Well, the yeah. one thing I always wonder with a smaller block plane like that or a smaller rabbiting plane is I have the uh, more standard sized skew rabbiting plane from Mm -hmm. uh lee valley and what i like about that is just kind of the heft it feels like i can control it just a little bit more and i I, i've never used the skew rabbiting block plane so i don't know how that feels in comparison when it comes to the weight especially maybe depending on what material you're you're working through but the comment about the handles the when you could create a kind of like almost like a small number three or something like that i do have that from lee valley and i can say that i have probably used it maybe um twice (laughs) nice yeah that to me defeats the purpose a little bit of a block plane and this could be a personal thing of mine but um the one of the coolest things about the block plane is it can be used one handed really easily. So it's great for breaking edges and things like that and getting into tough spots. But I also really like when I use a second hand, I like to reference the thumb of my, my other hand. I'm left handed. So my non dominant hand, my right hand, that thumb goes on top of that little knob and it kind of the fingers will drag along and it, it, it gives you real control and feel over how the blade is cutting with the wood. The more handles and things that you add to stuff, the more you kind of further away you get from the cutting action. Um, and that yeah. just, it's not really what a block plane is for, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it much more a precise tool. Yeah, it feels like it'd be kind of awkward in that small format. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is very <laughs> awkward, trust me. And I'm already an awkward person. It makes it even worse. I was actually on Matt's sixth grade report card. It was, it was. You know, <laughs> Awkward uh, in such a small format. He's really good in math, awesome with some of the science, although we want to keep him away from anything with a sharp edge, and he's awkward. There you go. All right. Well, uh, we should probably take a minute to talk about one of our friends called uh, TableLegs.com. Let's face it, folks. Sometimes we could use a little help on our projects. Maybe it's a project part that requires a tool you don't have, or maybe you haven't gotten to the point that you're ready to tackle a new skill. Or perhaps it's a matter of expedience and you need help meeting a deadline. Thankfully, there's a company that caters to your needs, TableLegs.com. These guys offer a wide variety of project parts and much more than just table legs. How about custom panels, columns, architectural components, finials, stair parts, and even 50 plus furniture feet from 4 inches to 12 inches high? And of course, they have tons of legs from various turnstiles to modern and minimalist metal hairpin styles. They even have a nice selection of that classic cabriole leg. So don't let that one project part keep you from making your next masterpiece. Now you can get free shipping on orders over $50 by typing in the code WOODTALK into the special instructions box on the online order form or mention WOODTALK when you call to order. I was looking at their site today and they even have an online tool for configuring tabletops. Just input the size, the shape, corner treatment, edge treatment, wood species, and even the finish. How cool is that? And when you order a set of table legs, they come pre-mortised. Now, I know many of you don't have lathes, so you might want to look into their custom turnings in styles ranging from colonial to cabriole to mission style to mid-century modern. When you order online at tablelegs.com, your parts will be carefully grain and color matched, sanded smooth, and carefully boxed for safe, rapid delivery to your door. And speaking of delivery, don't forget the free shipping offer on your first order of over $50 using the code WOODTALK. All parts feature a 100% money-back guarantee. At TableLegs.com, you'll find plenty of free, helpful tips and drawings on the best practices for making furniture with their components. And get this, 95% of what they sell is made right in Vermont, in Northeast Kingdom, by their staff of 30 people. Check out TableLegs.com, and remember to use that code WOODTALK for free shipping on orders over $50. That's TableLegs.com. Very nice. So do you think if I start off the next guild project with, uh, let's all just go to TableLegs.com, and order up our uh, our table legs to get started here. Um, <laughs> a little bit of a shortcut. I actually think something like this is great. There have been times where I uh, would have to build, I don't know, stuff for clients. And you start to get to a point where 
how many doors do you want to make? How many drawers do you want to make? And, and table legs can be like that as well. So it's nice to have resources like this where you get good quality parts that kind of, frankly, they look like you would have made them. It's that high of a, a quality level. Um, so you mm-hmm. don't have to, you don't have to feel bad about incorporating these pre-made things into your project. So it seems like a, a really good resource to get to know. Yeah, and I used something similar, not unfortunately from these guys. I wish I'd have known. I would have found them earlier. Yeah. Uh, but we did that with Samantha's table, and it is. It's definitely one of those things where it not only speeds it up, but you, if you're not confident with, say, a lathe, you get matching legs that actually look really, really good mm-hmm. uh, versus anything else. And then when people go, did you make these? You go, yeah. Sure yeah, did. Like, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure did. did. Pull them right out of the box and <laughs> place the order together. myself. <laughs> All right, let's move into our email got one here from uh, Craig. He says, I have a question about polyurethane. I've always heard that you cannot refinish poly without stripping the old coat first. At what point can you not lay another coat over an existing poly finish? When finishing poly, you always put on a coat, wait for it to dry, and then recoat. Can you not recoat once the poly has fully cured? If I put down my first coat of poly and had to wait a week or two before I was able to get to the second coat, would that cause any issues? Uh, now, Craig, I've heard this too. I've heard people say that you can't recoat poly, and if you do, you gotta, you know, even if it's brand new, um, a couple days old, you gotta sand it pretty aggressively so that the next coat will stick. I haven't really observe that in my work. And yeah, there are times where it's a good idea to give it a little bit more of a mechanical tooth, give it a sanding. But ultimately, you know, if the if the finish is a few years old, unless it is contaminated and has oils on it or waxes on the surface, you should be able to give it a light sanding, get it prepped for finish, you know, clean all that dust off of there and go ahead and recoat. I don't really see any reason why you can't do that. So uh, until someone gives me an example of why that's a terrible thing to do, I, I will continue to recommend that recoding even years down the line is just fine. The thing is, you just got to clean that surface real good. You probably want to clean it with uh, mineral spirits or ethanol, something to get any of the, the oils that are on the surface or any waxes that might have been used. Really clean it well and then sand it nice and thoroughly. You don't want to sand through the finish. You're just scuffing it up and cleaning it up, giving it a nice consistent look and then lay down your coats of new finish. And uh, frankly, you should be fine. Well, you know, now that you mentioned nobody's ever... No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I really yeah. wanted to say something. <laughs> you know, I have nothing to add to that. Yes. Okay. And yes. that's today's show. Thanks for listening, <laughs> folks. If you have comments, questions... No, just kidding. All right. You're up, Matt. All right. Well, this email came in from Jack, and he says, I have just upgraded from a 10-inch bandsaw from a formerly reputable manufacturer to a new 14-inch bandsaw. But it doesn't indicate whether this one is a reputable manufacturer, so we're just going to have to guess at well, that. Wait, former, formerly reputable? Like they're not reputable anymore? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, or is he saying ha- like formally? Yeah, for, for, formerly. Formerly reputable manufacturer. Hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah. That, I know. What exactly did they do? Were they like, you know, sorry, we formerly. lied. Well, who would that, who would that be? Like, today? Are we talking about like a Delta or Craftsman, like a company that was respected more in the past that is no longer respected as much? Oh, uh, that's true. Stanley comes to mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I don't want to speculate this because a lot of people say the same thing about my show. So, <laughs> do, you, do you think we're overanalyzing this? Or, uh, <laughs> no, probably. Well, you know, we should have a discussion about that. <laughs> okay. Do you think that we're overanalyzing? Because sometimes I don't think we analyze enough. <laughs> yeah. Let's do a single topic show on whether or not we overanalyze. Perfect. Stuff. Okay. That, that should be the next one. Anyways, let's. So Jack says, I have a couple of blade questions. One, actually, you know what? Okay, here's an analyzation. Is a couple two or is a few two? Is a couple two two? A couple and is then, two. Like a few you, is three. You and your wife how, are a how couple. About is an analyzation? Is that a word? Let's discuss that. <laughs> I think it might be analysis. <laughs> there you go. Analyzation. But That's I like analyzation better. <laughs> All right. Well, let's <laughs> analyze this, this. Anyway, so he's, he has a few blade questions. I have purchased a wood slicer blo- blade, bled, for resawing. <laughs> is this blad? Because it's so close to uh, uh, Halloween. I want to suck your blood. This. Yeah. I want to blad your blind saw. <laughs> anyway, so number one, I, I have purchased a wood slicer blade for resawing. Is this blade suitable for any straight rip cuts? Yes. I don't imagine why it wouldn't be. It, they tend to be uh, slightly aggressive compared to other ones because they, what, I think they have three TPI and they have some good sized gullets. Uh, yes, you can use them for straight rip cuts. I have used them for straight rip cuts. The big difference is if you think you're going to get a finish ready edge, you're mighty wrong. It's going to leave you with an edge that you definitely want to come back and do a little touch up on. Have either of you had issues with uh, resaw bandsaw blades or something similar? I got one on my saw right now. Yeah. Have you ever made any straight rip cuts with it? All the time. Okay. Well, yeah. then, and, and, and is it suitable for it? 
yeah, I've got a wood slicer on there right now. And in fact, I'm tuning up for some veneer cutting. And I was thinking, you know, let me put the Laguna on there with my big honking Laguna. Uh, what you call it? Yeah. Uh, the one with the big carbide teeth on it. Resaw like, King. Yeah, that's it. The Resaw King. And I'm like, why hey, do I know that? I don't know. You're, you're, you're very good. Uh, but I was like, I don't feel like going through the trouble. I got the wood slicer. It, it's it's definitely newer. You know, it's not brand new, but uh, it, it's not that old either. I'll just keep this one on here and use that for resawing. So I'm going to be cutting some pretty wide boards and lots of veneer slices on that thing, which is essentially just a very wide rip cut, uh, the, the resawing action itself. And mm-hmm. it works great for that. So there should be no problems for just standard rip cuts using the wood slicer. Absolutely. Yeah, I have yet to run into issues with it. Okay, second of the three questions, what should I look for when selecting a blade for basic curves? I think you should look for one that cuts material rather nicely. Actually, <laughs> one with, base, teeth. Yeah, with teeth, yes. Uh, so basically, it depends on the size of the actual curves itself. For most of the, the curve work that I typically do. I'm not making really tight scrolling cuts with this. Um, I, I can't even think of the size of the radius. Maybe down to like three inches in radius or something. Oftentimes, I'll just use a quarter inch blade for this and I find that it actually works really, really well for me. Now, as for TPI, again, I don't go very high because the higher you go in TPI, teeth per inch, uh, you tend to start having potential issues with sawdust collecting in there and then overheating and then issues with the motor overworking. So just kind of keep it like like three to four TPI is what I usually like to go with. And again, maybe like a quarter inch wide mm-hmm. and you should be able to do some some nice basic curves with that if you've got it all taken care of. Now, the third and final question is, would you recommend a third blade for cutting tight curves? Again, depends on what size of curves you're talking about here. But if we're talking like scrolling work, I for certain would want to take it down to about maybe an eighth of an inch, uh, maybe three sixteenth of an inch. Basically, the, the narrower diameter of the blade, the tighter the curve you're going to be able to get from it. Uh, so, yeah, for certain like scrolling work, I think yeah, about an eighth of an inch tends to be pretty good for that. Ugh, I hate changing blades on a bandsaw. Uh, yes, I know. I wish they had one where you could just like, I don't know what you do with it. I just like peel it off, but that wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I would say stick with two. Like if you go with three, that's fine. If you don't mind the process of replacing the blade, but try to try to get your resaw blade and your curve cutting blade out of two blades. Like don't, mm-hmm. don't throw a third into the mix. I mean, you do yeah. what you want to do, but man, that sounds like a pain in the butt. Yeah, it is. Especially when, uh, can you imagine doing it on one single project? You're like, Oh, I've got this nice big curve and yeah. Oh, now I got to do some scrolling. Oh, so you spend more time actually changing the blades than doing the curve work. Yeah. And if you can get everything you need out of maybe, like you said, the quarter inch is a, a good recommendation, three sixteenths and an eighth starts to get really small. You got to start doing specialty stuff and maybe bandsaw boxes and stuff that you might want a smaller blade than that, that quarter inch one. Um, but definitely that, that should handle, and that's what I've got on my 14 inch saw. And that handles just about every tight curve application, regular furniture work requires. Uh, yeah. but if you're doing special, you really stuff, good at like the relief cuts and stuff. Yeah. There's yeah. ways to get around yes. it. Right. And the it, nibble, the nibble away, the corner cuts. Exactly. There are tight, tight spots you get into, but you could still do it with a quarter inch blade. So go for a little bit more of a compromise. I, I definitely recommend staying away from three blades if you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I've actually seen sometimes it's less about the blade and sometimes it's more about the stabilization around the blade. Yeah. I know Carter products makes that stabilizer, I think is what they call it. Yep. And you know, you, I'm sure you guys have seen the videos out on the internet where the guy like whips out the little, um, reindeer in like seven seconds, <laughs> yeah. the Carter stabilizer. Yep. If you're doing tight curves like that, um, just going to a really, really, uh, narrow blade might not even be enough. Um, but you're also blurring the lines between what a bandsaw is meant for and like what a scroll saw is meant for. Right. So if you get into curves that tight, um, I don't know. It depends on how much you do it. That's what it came down with for me. You know, I, I had I used my wood slicer blade for just about everything. And when I got to a tight curve, I like faked it by making lots of res- lots of uh, relief cuts. <laughs> Little chops. Because I didn't want to change. <laughs> and then you sand the rest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I nibble away so much. It almost looks like I ate the wood versus actually cutting it. (laughs) Right. Man, now I'm going to have to buy this damn thing. The blade guide uh, stabilizer. I saw that on a video. I looked at a video today, too, that um, Alex Snodgrass uh, setup video that people refer to all the time for setting up a bandsaw. Mm -hmm. And he recommended it there, too. And I'm just like, oh, man, like I could. There are times with my 14 inch saw that small blade likes to wander. 
a little bit. It mm-hmm. makes it, it makes it tricky to cut those curves and get it to do what you think it's going to do. And I know that's what this thing does. And I've like a, for years just pretended it didn't exist. And now that you mentioned that I'm going to have to buy it, cut, cut myself some reindeers. <laughs> Here we go. People at Carter products can send the check to Wood Talk. Yep, well, you know, if you want to, I can just go pick them up. They are literally only 45 minutes away from me. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah really? And they avoid me like the plague. There's like, <laughs> there's gotta be a sign like on the express or a little, maybe a camera on the, on the expressway and they pick me up. It's like a trail camera. They're like, Oh God, he's coming quick. Everybody <laughs> put up, a, put up a coffee shop. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. All right, this last question comes from Mike. He says, my question is about my handsaw technique. I'm getting pretty good with my handsaws. I've forced myself to saw to the line all the time. I'm picturing, like, you know, I don't know, forcing myself. Does he, like, whip himself when he (laughs) goes off the line? Does he have somebody standing there with a ruler smacking his hand if he goes off the line? Anyway, he didn't write all that. I I forced myself to saw to the line all the time, and it's really starting to pay dividends with tenons and fit-ups. Here's my question. When I'm making longer rips with my panel saw, what are the methods to correct the saw path when it starts to go awry? I'm right on the line, so there really isn't margin for error, and it seems like when I try to adjust the saw, it just goes out of square from the surface. So um, what what he's talking about is that that vertical plumb line. He's starting to create a bevel on the edge. Um, This is – there's one thing about sawing to a line. When we're talking about joinery – Sawing to the line and getting to fit right off the saw is is the goal, really, with a lot of hand joinery. When you're talking about pulling out a panel saw or a full-size handle saw, a hand saw, and you're essentially breaking stock down or you're cutting stock to length, it's not really – I mean, yeah, you want to be on the line, but maybe mark the line a little bit wider than what you need um, because you're going to have to clean up that cut. When you go to – uh, a coarser cut saw, there's more work required to clean up that edge, whether it be the shooting board, just straight with the plane, sandpaper, whatever. You're cleaning up that that uh, rough surface left by the, the coarser handsaw. So you have to allocate a little bit of room for that cleanup anyway. So to, to address that point, if you're doing rough cuts right on the line, um, hey, good on you if you can do that, but you're still probably going to end up going inside your finished thickness by the time you clean that up. Unless, of course, for some reason you're not – you don't have to clean that up. It's not a show surface or whatever. Even then, uh, I try to clean up those saw cuts. Um, so that's the first thing, Mike, is maybe not saw right on the line when you're working with a rougher tool because, like you said, there's no margin for error. Now, when it comes to correcting a cut with a, a backless saw, um, the best thing to do – and he's talking about when it starts to wander – like across the width of the board. The best thing to do is to drop your handle back. So essentially you're trying to bring the tooth line almost parallel to the surface of the wood and create a curve, a really shallow curve in the wood that's following your line. What you're doing is engaging more teeth into the wood. So it's kind of like... um, you know, taking a longer straight edge and trying to bend that around a corner is much harder than taking a, a, a short straight edge and doing that short stick or whatever. The more teeth you engage, the more points of contact you have and the straighter your line is going to be. Now we're assuming that your saw plate is straight to begin with, which hopefully it is. But basically the more teeth you're engaging, the, the straighter that line is going to be. That starter curve you've created now when you tip the saw back up to the 60-degree cutting angle, whatever it is you're using, the, the saw is going to follow that path of least resistance and follow that cut line. So it's a way of kind of changing the track that it's following. Sometimes you have to kind of back up a little bit and reestablish that curve by laying it down. Um, guarantee you there's a video or 500 on YouTube or something like that about this technique. Um, but that assumes that you've got that margin for error already. The minute you try to steer a saw while it's engaged in the cut, you know, at, a, at that 45, 60 degree cutting angle is the minute you're going to start to bend it off that plumb line, which is what he's talking about. It's going to go out of square vertically because you're essentially forcing the plate to bend by tweaking your wrist or something like that. And that just causes all kinds of, all kinds of chaos in, in how the tooth line is interacting with the wood. Mm, very nice. I hope I was wondering that probably made no sense at the beginning there when you're trying to imply like, you know, how is he forcing himself to do this? I kept hearing in his head, please, Mistress Curve. Could I have another one? Could I have another one? 
Wonderful. Yeah. Well, if you want to, you want to support this crap, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you could set up a recurring. You want to rethink that? But. Yeah. If you want to, I don't know that I would, but uh, <laughs> you can go to woodtalkshow.com and look at the donation links on the right hand column and uh, set up a one time or recurring small donation. Or while you're there, go to uh, the giveaway page, win yourself a nice T-shirt. And you know what? If you just want to go buy a T-shirt, you could do that too at twwstore.com. And if you want, leave us a review in the iTunes store. Just uh, look for Wood Talk there. Click on ratings and reviews and give us a sweet five-star rating, just like twit lover Twig Hater did. And he said, uh, had this to say. Uh, what What is it? Oh, I'm trying to read this in the notes, which I don't usually do. One of my highlights of my week. Great podcast. What a great name, too. Twit lover Twig Hater. <laughs> Interesting that he would listen to uh, our show as a Twig Hater. I was going to yeah. say it, yeah. I mean, Twigs are just small wood. That's it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Also, we knitting needles are twigs, almost. Um, and so Mistress Kirk could actually use the twig to keep <laughs> yeah. uh, Mike in line there. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, uh-huh. I'll be giving the contact info, and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, or maybe a topic suggestion? Like, maybe this should be the last time I'm ever on the episode. <laughs> I know many of you are thinking that right now. You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time. Sorry. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.